everyone has that one dish they look forward to during the colder months of the year. A dish that sends them back to memories surrounded by family and friends, gathered around a table filled with delicious, warm food. One of those foods for the American holidays is sweet potato casserole. While sweet potato casserole topped with marshmallows may just be the most American dish to ever come about, it's also one of the most divisive. People either love its sugary embrace or despise it. If you've ever invited a non-American friend over for the holidays, you know that the dish is a total shocker for those who didn't grow up with it. In the eyes of the world, we're eating candy on top of a potato. Which, of course, we totally are. Welcome to an extra serving of Seasons Eatings, the podcast which explores the history of our favorite Christmas foods. In this Burr episode of Seasons Eating Side Dish, we're getting into the sticky sweet history of the combination of fluffy white marshmallow with a sugary orange tuber. We're talking about sweet potato casserole. But first, I want to take a moment to ask you to subscribe to the podcast. Subscriptions show me that people like the show and it helps you forget about constantly searching for new episodes when they drop. Every subscription is greatly appreciated. And you can also get a hold of me through email. Just drop me a line at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com to leave me a suggestion for future episodes, a question, or just to say hi. I'd love to hear from you. Finally, share your love for the show on Facebook. Just search Seasons Eatings Podcast, like our page, and join our group. I hope to see you there. Sweet potato casserole with its soul-warming flavor and velvety texture is one of those dishes frequently found on tables celebrating Christmas and other holidays. We can't discuss the history of sweet potato casserole without addressing the age-old questions. Is there a difference between sweet potatoes and yams? While the two terms are often used interchangeably, they are in fact two different root vegetables altogether. Sweet potatoes originated in Central and South America, but archaeologists have found prehistoric remnants of sweet potato in Polynesia from about 1000 AD to 1100 AD, according to radiocarbon dating. They've hypothesized that those ancient samples came from the western coast of South America. Although the sweet potato is not closely related botanically to the common potato, they're the naturally sweet roots of the morning glory family. Other plants in the morning glory family are commonly known as bindweed, water spinach, and of course the morning glory flower. Sweet potatoes are rich in vitamins B, calcium, magnesium, and potassium. They also give you about 400% of your daily serving of vitamin A, the vitamin necessary for the development of our eyes, skin, and immune system. The first Europeans to taste sweet potatoes were members of Christopher Columbus's expedition in 1492. Later explorers found many cultivars under an assortment of local names, but the name which stayed was the indigenous Taino name of batata. The Spanish combined this with the Quechua word for potato, papa, to create the word patata for the common potato. Among other clues, one Polynesian word for sweet potato, kuumala, 
resembles Kumara or Kumal, the words for the vegetable in Quechua, the language spoken by Andean natives. But until now, there was little genetic proof for this theory of how the tater traveled. Part of the reason why is that modern sweet potatoes are a genetic muddle, a hybrid of different cultivars that Europeans help spread around the globe, so it's hard to decipher their origins from their DNA. Caroline Roulier, an evolutionary biologist at the Center for Functional and Evolutionary Ecology in France, got around this problem by turning to dried sweet potato remains kept in a London museum. Captain James Cook's crew picked up the vegetables in Polynesia back in 1769, before all this interbreeding took off. Examining the genetic blueprint of Cook's sweet potatoes allowed Roulier and her colleagues to trace the roots' evolution all the way back to Ecuador and Peru. Don't get confused with the other common tuber, the yam. While some may use the vegetables interchangeably, yams have a much starchier, fibrous texture, reflected in their pale flesh. Sweet potatoes, while they come in several varieties, often have that signature orange color and are far sweeter. The various colors of sweet potatoes also indicate the variety of antioxidants they contain. The orange ones get their color from beta-carotene, but the purple kind have a different type of antioxidants called anthocyanins. Unlike other anthocyanin-containing foods like eggplant or blueberries, sweet potatoes have these antioxidants in the flesh as well as the skin, so they're a much more concentrated source. Based on information from Smithsonian and Library of Congress websites, it appears the first published recipe using sweet potatoes was in an American cookbook from 1796. It's called The American Cookery, and the recipe is for potato pudding, but it's believed to be calling for sweet potatoes. There's a definite sweet potato recipe examples by the 1820s, including this one from Colonial Williamsburg. This recipe was written by Mary Randolph in The Virginia Housewife in 1827. Sweet Potato Pudding Boil one pound of sweet potatoes very tender, Rub them while hot through a colander, add six eggs well beaten, three quarters of a pound of powdered sugar, three quarters of butter, and some grated nutmeg and lemon peel with a glass of brandy. Put a paste in the dish, and when the pudding is done, sprinkle the top with sugar and cover it with bits of citron. Irish potato pudding is made in the same manner, but is not so good. So, while the sweet potato was a common food by the 1820s, there are still no marshmallows. We'll find out why marshmallows are added to the sweet potato after this short break. There's no secret that I love Christmas. And if you're like me, you have a favorite Christmas food, that means it can't be Christmas without it. For me, it's figgy pudding. There's something about having that steamed pudding that means Christmas is complete. But do you also have a favorite movie or song? How about somewhere to visit? Something that, for you, is the true meaning of Christmas? So why not let the world know? Head on over to ChristmasHalloFame.net and nominate those individuals, events, characters, and creators who've shaped and influenced the celebration of Christmas around the world. Get your nomination in, and maybe your choice will make the Christmas Hall of Fame next year. Nominations and voting are absolutely free, but you have to be a member of the Christmas Hall of Fame to vote. All nominations need to be in by November 26 to be eligible for the next year. So head on over to ChristmasHallOfFame.net and get your nominations in.
This is Craig Kringle from the Weird Christmas Podcast. About three years ago, I went looking for very short, very strange stories that I could read on my show, but I couldn't find much, or not much that was sufficiently weird, so I thought, why not ask people to write some? And thus was born the annual Weird Christmas Flash Fiction Contest. You can get all the details at weirdchristmas.com, but basically, I'm asking you to tell me a story that keeps Christmas weird. That can be funny weird, or creepy weird, or just plain what the nutcracker surreal. Keep it under 350 words, send it to weirdxmas at gmail.com by November 1st, and you could win some cash. Prizes range from $5 to $50, and I choose about a dozen to read on the show and publish on my website. Head over to weirdchristmas.com to see the winners and honorable mentions from the last couple years. Here's a quick sample to get that creative eggnog flowing. He glanced in terror at the other reindeer galloping beside him. Its eyes were as blue and as human as his were. He dropped Bill's head on his body and used his incinerator to fry Bill until he was dust. I guess I'm going to have a Merry Christmas after all. He felt himself shrinking till he couldn't have been more than a couple of inches high. A huge hand picked him up and placed him on the mantelpiece beside another motionless Santa. People don't like the baby Jesus to go missing from their nativity scene, they said. I shrugged. People were petty. I'm sorry there was no Santa, but I did provide an elf. Number four was a grand old patriarch, but we were ready for him. When he came crashing down the chimney sermon in mid-flow, he landed right in the net we had tied to the mantelpiece. Traditions are great and all, but sometimes you just need Christmas to get a little bit weird. And I'm hoping you'll help me make it even weirder. So visit me at weirdchristmas.com, and I hope I'll get to read your stories soon. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, American cookbooks boomed. Everything from the incredibly well-known Boston Cooking School cookbook, which you may know by the name of its author, Fanny Farmer, to George Washington Carver published a recipe for candied sweet potatoes. Some call these recipes candied yams, although actual yams are a different plant altogether, writes Miss Celania for Mental Floss. The oldest recipe for candied yams is from 1889. Fanny Farmer's 1918 recipe for glazed sweet potatoes calls for boiling potatoes before coating them in a sugar syrup with butter and baking until brown, basting twice with the remaining syrup. Sweet potatoes, because they're a root vegetable that keeps for a long time, may have been enjoyed for the holidays in the 1800s. But where did the marshmallows come in? For that, according to Alex Swardloff, writing for Munchies, you have to look at a company known as Angelus Marshmallows. This is a company which brings us Cracker Jacks. For those who don't know, Cracker Jacks are a wonderfully sweet mixture of popcorn and peanuts which are covered with a caramel coating. Each box of Cracker Jacks came with a little toy to play with after you devour the box's contents. That company, Swerdoff writes, introduced mass-made marshmallows to Americans in 1907. A decade later, the corporation was still trying to get marshmallows into American homes. They sought out Janet McKenzie Hill the founder of the Boston Cooking School magazine, to help them develop recipes that included marshmallows. The resulting cookbook, published in 1917, featured plenty of instant classics, including fudge studded with chewy marshmallows, cups of hot cocoa dotted with them, and yes, the first documented appearance of mashed sweet potatoes baked with a marshmallow topping. Besides congealed salad, frozen fruit salad, and marshmallow mint sauce, 
The booklet included a recipe for mass sweet potato casserole. The other recipes mercifully melted away, but the casserole stuck. By the 1920s, sweet potatoes and marshmallows were seen hanging out together in cookbooks all over the place. The unholy match had been made. If you can get a copy of the booklet, look carefully at a photo of the recipe and you'll see squarish marshmallows on the casserole. Back then, marshmallows were made individually in square molds. But 1954 saw the invention of that technological wonder, the marshmallow extruder. The tubular chute shot them out and cut them to size, resulting in an automated barrage of casserole toppings such as the world has never seen before, and which continues to this day. Candied sweet potatoes are a side dish consisting mainly of sweet potatoes prepared with brown sugar, marshmallows, maple syrup, molasses, orange juice, marron glacé, and other sweet ingredients. A marron glacé is a confection originating in northern Italy and southern France consisting of a chestnut candied in sugar syrup and glazed. Candied sweet potatoes didn't gain widespread popularity until the advent of mass-produced marshmallows. Even then, people realized the dish was a bit cloying. To be more specific, it was Southerners who recognized the sweet-on-sweet -sweet combo was too much. Right away, Americans divided on whether marshmallow topping was a good thing. Southerners appeared to respect sweet potatoes too much to pair them with candy, writes Savannah Magazine. Northerners, by contrast, embraced marshmallows as the latest innovation. Maybe that's because sweet potatoes were generally rare up north until the 19th century. Saver explains, the root vegetable was a staple in the South during the colonial era and didn't make it to New England and the Midwest until years later. The colonial era was also the time when the terms yam and sweet potato began being used interchangeably. The sweet potato became a favorite food item for the French and Spanish settlers and thus continued a long history of cultivation in Louisiana. Sweet potatoes are recognized as the state vegetable of North Carolina. Sweet potato pie is also a traditional favorite dish in southern U.S. cuisine. Another variation on the typical sweet potato pie is the Okinawan sweet potato haupia pie, which is made with purple sweet potatoes, native to the island of Hawaii and believed to be originally cultivated as early as 500 CE. Unfortunately, the history of the sweet potato was not always as sweet as people would think. According to Adrian Miller, the author of Soul Food, The Surprising Story of American Cuisine, sweet potatoes were introduced to West Africa around the 16th century. But they were not an overnight sensation. Far from it. At the time, other crops such as cassava, yams, and similar root vegetables were far more popular and used often in savory dishes. The sweet potato first found success in Europe and later in America due to the transatlantic slave trade, which forced the migration of countless human beings and relocated them primarily in the South. The popularity that sweet potatoes ultimately found within the black community was due to convenience. Though it wasn't the yam that was so popular back home, it was close enough. West Africa is a yam-based culture, says Miller. Even though we call dark flesh sweet potatoes yams, they're not the same thing as the tropical root plant. People were dissing the sweet potato as the white man's yam, but on this side of the Atlantic, sweet potatoes were embraced because enslaved people couldn't get the true tropical yams. Before you had sweet potato pie, you had something called sweet potato pound, 
which is a corruption of the Native American word for a type of baked bread, said Miller. Enslaved people asking for dessert were eating roasted sweet potatoes cooked in the embers of a fire, or they started eating mashed up sweet potatoes that were spiced. As they got access to cooking technology and equipment, like ovens, that's when they started to add pie shells. After slavery was abolished, African Americans were subjected to decades of terror that led them to flee many parts of the South over the course of over 50 years. Many dishes and ways of life were left behind for the convenience of the bigger cities, the realities of smaller living spaces and lack of access to plots of land on which to grow food. Much of their food culture was lost, but the sweet potato and its pie remained. Baking a sweet potato pie can be an arduous process involving peeling, cutting, boiling, and removing those dreaded sweet potato strings. Unlike pumpkin pie, which can be made simply with the help of canned pumpkin puree, sweet potato pie takes work. One reason African Americans have chosen to stick with the beloved sweet potato pie? It's just one of those foods that evokes deep, deep nostalgia for either family situations or communal situations, asserted Miller. It's a taste of home. It's a taste of church. It's the taste of family reunions. You know, those settings where you can kind of escape from everything else that's happening in the world. You've got this bond. You're feeling the love. Nowadays, the sweet potato has gained more popularity. I love a sweet potato fry dipped in curry aioli. It's used in many different iterations, like baked, cubed in a hash, and mashed. Whatever way you cooked your sweet potato, the marshmallow topping casserole has been part of the American holiday tradition. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of Seasons Eatings. You can find Seasons Eatings on Stitcher, Google, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like this episode, I would appreciate if you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Google so that others can find future episodes. And as a bonus, if you let me know that you left a review, email me at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com and I'll send you a wonderful Seasons Eatings sticker. You can also find Seasons Eatings on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To find links to all these sites and past episodes, just go to seasonseatingspodcast.com. Thanks again, and drop by next time for another helping of Seasons Eatings.